0: In the uh, last week of June, I um, <coughs> always loved watching a bit of tennis at Wimbledon. I love that sort of gladi- gladiatorial uh, contest of one-on-one, the, the, the tension, the extraordinary uh, feats of individual skill. But I have to be honest, at the end of a couple of weeks of Wimbledon, that's enough for me for the year. And uh, as far as I can see from... The amount of tennis that's uh, put on for the rest of the year, that's most people's verdict as well. Football, on the other hand, is different, isn't it? Tens of thousands of people flock regularly to games, hundreds of thousands watch the television. A big match will draw millions of people and they'll go on watching football right throughout the whole year. Why is that? I'm sure you've got lots and lots of answers, but let me suggest to you one. Football is popular because it's a team game. As far as I can think, all the most popular spectator sports are actually team games. There is something wonderful about watching flashes of individual uh, uh, genius on the tennis court, but there is something even more glorious, it seems, about watching a team working together in unison. Actually, rugby is my game. On YouTube you can see the, um, um, the, the, the greatest try of all time, um, 1973, scored by Gareth Edwards, started by Phil Bennett and with Derek Quinnell and various others in between. It's just extraordinary. I was watching it with the boys yesterday and then we went down to the pub and watched the barbarians thrash the Australians yesterday and felt equally good about that. It is just great fun watching a team sport. But the Corinthians had not learned that. We've seen, haven't we, in chapters 1 and 2, chapter 1 in particular, that their pride led them actually to be um, uh, obsessed with individuals, obsessed with who was the greatest superstar. And they quarrelled and they bickered and they argued over it. They hadn't learned to work together socially as a team. Look at verses 11 and 12, for instance, of chapter 1. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels amongst you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Uh, Still another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. They they fought like cats and dogs, these Corinthians. Who was their favourite um, preacher. Paul says, didn't, doesn't he, at the beginning of chapter 3, that is deeply immature. Look at chapter 3, verse uh, 3. You are still worldly, he says, since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? One says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? He uses um, various words, particularly the word worldly there, literally, um, actually, uh, fleshy, are you not just people of flesh, (coughs) as a particular, specific rebuke against these self-appointed connoisseurs of good leadership. You see, they judged Paul and this other leader, Apollos, according to who was the most spiritual. And they said... um, and that inferior leaders were just just rather fleshy, rather worldly, rather pathetic compared with their favourite, who was really spiritual. And Paul says, the very fact that you are engaging in this beauty contest makes you unspiritual, makes you worldly. See verse 1? I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, worldly, mere infants in Christ. Well, we've already seen a lot of that, which we've been studying um, one Corinthians. Today, we're going to move on to focus on on what Paul says about um, leaders to counteract this. How a church really should work. He says, God chooses to grow his kingdom, actually not by raising up individual superheroes like tennis players, but by forming teams who work together. He says five things about the members of God's teams that we need to take on board before we think for a while about what that means for us. Five things about working as a team. First of all, he makes it very plain that in one sense, each member of that team is insignificant. Verse 5, what after all is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul puts that actually in an interesting way, which the NIV captures very well. He doesn't say, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? He says, what is Apollos? He's speaking about himself and Apollos as though they were not people. They, were, they are inadequate, uh, uh, inanimate Objects, they are instruments in God's hands. They are servants who are assigned a specific task, each of them by God. Through them, through those instruments, amazing things happen. The Corinthians came to believe. But, says Paul, when you see a great sculpture, you don't praise the chisel. When you see a great painting, you don't praise the tube of paint. When you see a great building, you don't praise the bricklayer. You say to the bricklayer, what a privilege you have, bricklayer, to be able to work for this architect who has designed this extraordinary building. And the architect of this building is God. as individuals then, each of those um, um, servants is insignificant. Then he speaks about their diversity, verse 6. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Paul had a church planting gift. Under him churches sprung up all over the Mediterranean. But to be honest, when you read his life, he wasn't particularly good at staying in one place. In fact, his stay in Corinth for 18 months was one of his longer stops. Apollos was a traveller as well, but he seems to have been more gifted in nourishing and growing and developing a young church. In Paul's language, he was a waterer. And Paul knows if the world was full of people like him there might be lots of churches that would get planted and would would, would grow up for a little while but they would never mature, they would never develop they, 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 would, um, they would lapse into all sorts of problems and most of them would probably disappear. be disappeared within a decade. Yes, they needed a church planter but they needed a, a waterer too. Of course, if the world was full of apollosies, you'd get another problem. You'd get a few churches that were uh, perhaps wonderfully nourished by um, these, uh, these good, supportive apollosies, but no one would ever plant any new fellowships anywhere, and there would be vast areas that had no church. No, the point is, God's kingdom needs both. No sensible football football manager fills his team with strikers. No sensible rugby coach picks 15 prop forwards. We have a God whose wisdom far outstrips. You'll be relieved to know Steve McLaren or Brian Ashton or even Sven or Clive Woodward. We have a great leader who has worked it out exactly as he wants it. He forms teams. He uses diverse gifts to achieve his goals. But of course, Paul has already talked about their achievement, hasn't he? We must notice that. Actually, it's not their achievement at all. But it is is something that happens through them. They are instruments through whom people come to believe. It's a miracle when someone comes to faith. Absolutely uh, extraordinary. And one of the first things we need to learn as Christians is we can't do that. We can't achieve that in someone else's life. But amazingly, we can be used by God to make it happen. We can be the instruments through whom people come to believe. As Apollos watered that seed as well in verse uh, 6 that had been planted by Paul, God made it grow. It's his dominant image that he uses, the image of uh, um, growing plants. And if you, as I hope you have, have grown Um, plants, you will know what a miracle that is. You put a little seed in the ground, you provide water for it and hey presto in a few months you have a plant bearing fruit. Let's take a little bit more than that. We've always, um, when the children were small, let them have a crop in the the allotment and uh, they would literally do that. They would turn up triumphantly one day in March or April and put the seed in the ground and then troop down in September to, um, and to harvest the crop, not knowing that um, Dad had been looking after it for, for some time. It's, uh, it does take consistent care, but with all the care in the world, life, plant life is still a miracle. God gives the growth. So, says Paul, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. God does a miracle through us. God brings new life, spiritual life into this world through us. God grows people through us. It is absolutely extraordinary. God chooses to use people like us to be his instruments. We are not anything. God is everything. But it is amazing to be part of what he's doing. Their insignificance, their diversity, their achievement, or should we have said God's achievement through them? And then he speaks about their unity. Verse 8 The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, or literally, they are one. They are both working together for the same thing the establishment and growth of God's people. As he puts it in verse 9, we are. God's fellow workers. And he doesn't mean there we uh, somehow um, are fellow workers with God, as if God does one bit and we do another bit. No, he's actually made it plain that in a profound sense, God does everything. No, when he uses that phrase, fellow workers, he means he and Apollos are fellow workers together under God. How ridiculous to try and divide them. Neither of them can do what the other does. Both of them are necessary to see healthy growth. They are one, absolutely united in that great purpose under God. And finally Paul speaks of their reward. Verse 8, did you see? The man who plants, the man who waters have one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. God rewards his people in a particular way. When we think of rewards, you see, we think of the Oscars, don't we? We think of someone who's applauded as being the greatest actor of that year. We think of Wimbledon tennis, we think of whatever. God doesn't work it out like that. Where God gives his reward according to the task that he has given us and according to the gifts that he has given us to fulfil that task. And that means there are going to be surprises in heaven. Some of those who are perhaps lauded to the skies may not be praised very highly in heaven. Jesus said about such people on one occasion, they have already received their reward in full. and others who faithfully did the task that God had called them to do in his team, in his kingdom, and did it humbly and diligently to the utmost of their ability, according to the gifts that God had given them, will be very highly prized. That's what Paul establishes then. Each person is actually insignificant. So why praise the leaders, the, the, these different leaders so greatly? They are on purpose diverse. So, so, so why pick out what's, what, what's better and what's worse? They're just different. Through God they achieve great things, but it is all God. They are absolutely one and they are each going to get their own reward according to whether they have faithfully fulfilled the task that God has uniquely assigned them. It is not going to be an Oscar ceremony. It is going to be a personal assessment in private with God. What does that mean for us then? Let me uh, point out uh, a few things that uh, this must mean for us as we think about what it means to be God's people together. First of all, it must mean that we don't need only one kind of person to help us grow. If that applies to the church in general, it applies to us as individuals. Christian leaders, then, are um, uh, not to be judged as to according to who is the, the, the best and everyone flocks to them. Christian leaders are just different people on a team, different leaders. And actually we need different kinds of people for different elements of our, of our personal growth. We need, for instance, not only sermons at the front, but we need personal help and support from other people. Here we encourage people to belong to our home groups because in, in smaller groups we can process the learning and find support from others and in, in turn give support to them. Very, on, very early on in my Christian life, I realised that I was getting an awful lot more from my home group than... From the preaching that I was here a- hearing, and it wasn't bad preaching. It was amongst the best in this country. We just need more than inspiring sermons. Now, sermons are vital. They uh, they, they 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 set the tone and direction of a church. They they uh, um they are vital. to, to draw us together and to help us at one level to learn things together so that we are held together as the body of Christ, learning together in this environment, taking God's word seriously. But they are not the beginning and end of your personal growth. You need more. You need a home group of People who love you and care for you, with whom you can reflect on those things. Perhaps need uh, um, particular friends who will encourage you and help you. That means, of course, home group leaders, you are actually vital fellow workers in the life of the church. Absolutely uh, vital, with a different role, but a vital role. None of us are particularly special. All of us have the privilege of being God's instruments to help one another to grow. It's actually good to uh, have uh, uh, access to different preachers and different kinds of preaching style as well, just as these Corinthians had. God has been good good enough in the church to give us a good number of able Bible teachers and... um, (laughs) Though you hear a lot of me in the autumn and the, and, and the spring, over the year in, in the church, I'm actually preaching about half as much as I was um, uh, five years ago. Most of the uh, teaching in the gathering in the evening is done by other people. And that is a specific recognition that it is better for us to function um, with a team of preachers than just having everything coming from one person. We have a... Um, a preaching team called the Spurgeons, and anyone who wants to uh, um, join that is very welcome to do that. And those who have been here for a while know that they have uh, at least one series in the summer that they plan and execute as a little team. And numbers of people have said how fruitful and helpful that has been. Because we need diversity in order to grow. And more than that, you know, today, in the 21st century, we have unprecedented access to other Bible teachers around the world. If we want to, we can download sermons from any one of thousands, actually, even, of uh, uh, Bible teachers. You could listen to a sermon a day, if you wanted to, from the most able people on the the planet. And uh, some local preachers actually get anxious about that, and understandably so. Because local churches are often far too Corinthian in their attitude. They say, oh, he can't preach like so-and-so uh, over, uh, over there in the, in the megachurch. This, our, our local pastor ought to learn a, a thing or two from him. And of course, that's exactly not the right attitude. But those people can feed you and nourish you and encourage you and give you the benefit of a more diverse Set of inputs that any local church can do. Why not take advantage of it? And then what about books? You know, in the English speaking world, we are sitting on an absolute gold mine of Christian books today. I wonder do you read? My observation is that our growth and maturity for most people is very closely correlated to how much they read. How much they are prepared to invest in their growth in understanding. We are a a century that, that reads less and less. You know, in centuries gone by, ordinary, uneducated, working class Christians... Um, read voraciously. To be honest, more than many a graduate does today. John Wesley um, raised up a whole raft of lay preachers, uneducated lay preachers, um, to to, uh, pastor his churches, who worked nine to five during the day. He said, I'm not sure whether any of them actually lived up to this. He said, um, he reckoned they ought to be reading, not just theology, but in general, they ought to be reading probably about five hours a day. Even if they didn't live up to that, they read. And they were profound people of God as a result, many of them. They, they took advantage of the fact that, that they'd got living and dead, godly people whom they could learn from, who they could feed from, and so grow. One waters, one plants, another nurtures, another weeds out the weeds, another gathers the harvest. Together they help us Let me say as well, I think it is no bad thing that we have um, different kinds of churches that sometimes are particularly able to nurture us at different stages of our life. For instance in Oxford we have uh, some, some very unusual big churches dominated by students and they are just the right place for a lot of people at a certain stage in their lives. Most people are called by God then to move on to different churches where they can and will continue to grow. When you're young, you need treating like a a young, delicate seedling. But uh, later on, plants benefit, to be honest, from being stressed a little. If you water them too much, their roots don't get down deep into the soil. And uh, ordinary small churches that uh, perhaps make more demands on us are often very much the best place where we can grow after that first stage of growth. In God's plan, I think we as a church function as a sort of intermediary between the, those uh, those two. We neither have a large student uh, population, but nor are we a totally uh, ordinary, long-term stable church. We have lots of people who stay with us um, for just a while. American students rather extreme, just a couple of months, but um, and many, many people are just here for perhaps uh, uh, three years or so. That's a valuable ministry that we have. Cuz let me let me let me speak to long-term people here for a minute. That means you are absolutely vital to us as uh, uh, as a church. You are you are deeply precious to me and uh, I hope that we have here an environment where in the long term we all can continue to grow. I hope that this this environment will not stunt us if we are here for many, many years. To be honest, there aren't many of us here, though, who were here ten years ago. We must, as long-termers, embrace the fact that God has called us to minister to large numbers of people who just pass through. And we are to welcome them, we are to love them, we are to encourage them, we are to teach them the Bible, we are to help them to see the truths of Scripture worked out in our ordinary, long-term lives as we live together. We are to pray for them and then we are to let them go. maybe in God's purpose in those people's lives, you see. We serve one function, not all that they need for their life. Because as Paul says, one plants, one waters. What does that mean then for you personally? As you give. We've talked a lot about what it means for you, your attitude to receiving. We are to receive a great diversity of ministries into our lives so that we can grow healthily. That's God's plan. What about as you give? Well, surely it means that God has made you the particular person that you are for a particular purpose. He has assigned a task to you which is unique to you. There is no point in wishing that you could be someone else. You are not, you are you and someone more wise than you made you like that, God. So your task is to understand yourself, to know yourself, to ask God what have you called me to do and then to do it with all your heart. God is not a fool. God has specifically designed and planned that his kingdom should be advanced by diverse teams, churches. And he has put those diverse people together so that together they can be the body of Christ. His hands and feet and eyes and ears so that together we can bring something of God into this world so that people see as we are in our workplaces, so that they see as we live out our lives with our families, so that they see as we engage in friendships, so that they see as we as we relate together and serve Him together, by as we put it in our vision statement, by word, service and community, so that they see Christ, and so that we become a people together through whom people come to believe so that we become a people together through whom God gives growth. I can't do everything, you can't do everything. Together we can do everything that Christ calls us to do. And there is no point in stressing and worrying about what your favourite person is. Everyone here is called to everyone else so that in our unique ways we each perform our task and together Christ is glorified. Let's pray. perhaps it's for you to spend a moment just now meditating on this question. Who am I? What has God, what gifts has God given me? What does that mean about how I serve him?